With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast. A quick and informative look into the state of South Carolina sports presented by the state newspaper. I am your host, Greg Hadley, and I am joined by reporter Ben Briner, and we are previewing South Carolina football's matchup this weekend with number 9 Florida, but of course, we can't talk about this game without talking about what happened last week against number 3 Georgia, one of the biggest upsets in program history. Ben, I mean, we're living in a post-Georgia world. Does that change perceptions, expectations for this week, you think? I would say it really changes a lot, because had South Carolina lost that Georgia game, this Florida game would basically be the last stand for bowl eligibility. I guess technically Texas A&M could be that, but realistically, home against Florida probably would have been that. And now the Gamecocks uh, ESPN projects them to win six games, assuming they could take care of business in the three winnable games the rest of the way. They should at least be going to Birmingham or Shreveport, maybe. And basically, it it creates more stability because we're not going to spend the second half of the season being asked about buyout numbers and being asked about, you know, the future of the program. Things are at least settled. And it changes this Florida game because it goes from a must-win to sort of a found-money game. If, if South Carolina could knock off back-to-back top 10 opponents, that would be a little wild considering where this season started, but that would be sort of a base, something that a team can hang its hat on, you know, coming through a season that obviously for the first half, or at least the first few weeks, did not go the way that this team hoped it would. Yeah, I was going to ask about, I guess, fan expectations or national perceptions. Is this game against Florida now, you said it's a found money game. Excitement's obviously high, though. If they lose, how much does that kind of dampen what they did against Georgia, do you think? I don't necessarily think it does because the fact is, I mean, if they get, you know, run off the field, that's one thing. That's a conversation to have. If they lose a modestly competitive game, I mean, Florida's still real good, and South Carolina— for, you know, for a team that beat Georgia is not necessarily, you know, it took a lot to beat Georgia. It took a lot of weird bounces. It took a lot of weird things. It took a Dakarian Joyner-led offense just kind of holding the line. And I don't necessarily know that you could characterize it as backsliding because, frankly, where this team was, any positive is sort of gained ground. There wasn't a lot to, you know, sort of fall back from. Okay, so the current spread, as we're talking right now for the game, I think has Florida favored but only by I think six points it may have tipped down at one point to five and a half points what makes the Gators vulnerable to an upset here well I think the first thing is that their offense is decent but not great I want to say the SP plus rankings have them 24th in offense and 12th in defense and then you have to factor in they still have a backup quarterback and not necessarily a super high ceiling recruit backup quarterback Kyle Trask is a pretty good player. He's been very productive, but there's still perhaps some of that vulnerability. I mean, Jake Fromm was a very good player and was super productive, and South Carolina kind of got the best of him. So I just, I don't know that this Gators offense necessarily has kind of that top-end ceiling to just go run away and hide from the Gamecocks. 
I think that if South Carolina can get a few touchdowns on the board, they should at least be in it a little bit like the Georgia game, be able to put some pressure on them. Florida still runs the ball well, that's true, and I have a lot of respect for what Dan Mullen does in terms of offensive scheming. His offenses tend to, at the very least, have a high floor. Saw that last year when South Carolina blew a 17-point lead, but ultimately I think I think that that offense isn't going to be enough to quite run away and you know put the game out of reach. Then the question is going to be that defense, Florida's defense has been quite good, but it's also a little vulnerable to big plays. South Carolina's offense, not necessarily a great big play offense at this juncture, but if you break a couple of them, that could kind of set the tone, and especially Todd Grantham at times has been vulnerable to over-blitzing and giving up some big plays to some decent teams. Yeah, the Gators are coming off a, I think it was a 42-28 to loss to LSU. Granted, LSU has been putting up massive numbers against everyone. One thing I did want to note, you mentioned Kyle Trask, the junior QB for Florida. I just want to prepare listeners. If you're watching the game on ESPN this Saturday, be prepared to hear over and over again. He didn't even start for his high school team. Did, did, you, did you know that? Had you heard that before this week? Were uh, you aware? <laughs> I mean, it is a very impressive story for him. But uh, yeah, he played behind a Division One quarterback all throughout high school, came to Florida, and now he's getting his chance. And like you said, a decent player. I mean, looking over his numbers right now, 10 touchdowns, 3 picks, 8.8 yards per attempt, 161 rating, that's good. I mean, that would have probably been South Carolina's best quarterback through half a season, probably going back to Dylan Thompson. Maybe one of the Jake Bentley years was a little better, but not a ton better. Yeah, his story is interesting, and and it is always weird and kind of funny when announcers just stumble on that one story they really like telling, and it's sort of the top of one of the more interesting players' little bio page, and it just kind of gets regurgitated over and over and over. Kind of like Jake Bentley should still be a, a senior in high school throughout all of his first season. Going back to something you said earlier about what a win would mean for South Carolina here, consecutive top 10 victories. The start of the season got off to such a poor start, and then they come in, and if they were to pull off this upset, I mean, what would that change for Will Muschamp? Or I guess, what would that not change for Will Muschamp? Well, it would certainly put South Carolina in kind of okay position in the SEC East, because they would have their two SEC losses, would match Florida, and be one behind Georgia, and they'd have a tiebreaker against both. So that certainly would be interesting. But I think also the big criticism of Will Muschamp coming into this year was they had not beaten any particularly great teams. The best opponents they'd beaten in three years were probably an 8-5 and five Michigan team in the bowl and a 9-4 and four Tennessee team that was in the midst of a slide that that year didn't cost Butch Jones his job, but I believe the next year it did. It was a good Tennessee team, but not necessarily a great one. I think if you have that, you have sort of a proof of concept. You have sort of the idea that a Will Muschamp team can win those big games isn't just sort of feasting on the solid teams. And that's the kind of thing that when you go into an offseason, he can pitch it to recruits, he can pitch it to boosters, he can talk about progress. And considering last week it very much looked like you were going to have a team that went from three wins to six wins to nine wins to seven wins and then to five wins at best, it does change that dynamic. And, you know, it, it would just be a big boost for this team that, you know, a few, a few weeks ago people were looking up all sorts of buyout information. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app 
or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. Of course, getting this win is going to rely a lot on the knee of freshman Ryan Holinsky. He went down pretty hard against Georgia, but Coach Muschamp has said repeatedly that he's fine and that he expects him to play Saturday. I remain a little skeptical just because watching that Georgia game, I think it was clear he was he was pretty dinged up. But, I mean, if he does come back and he is ready to play, what do you expect to see from him and how important is it going to be for the Gamecocks to get something to go in around him? Well, I'm not a doctor, but no, I don't need to. I, I, like you, remain somewhat skeptical solely for the fact that I saw the direction in which his knee had bent when he sprained that, and it looked unpleasant. Now, perhaps younger people's knees can bend that way and they can play football the next week. I am literally going to probably have to wait to see six or seven snaps before I say, okay, he's probably fully healthy. Maybe that's me being not skeptical exactly, but sort of conservative on that front. If he can go, they'll, for his sake, probably end up going with as much quick game as they can physically muster. Also probably helps that they're going against such a blitz-heavy defense. But Florida's also going to put a hit on you sometimes, and that's its own question. Now, then the question becomes, what does a Dakarian joiner led offense possibly look like there? Last week, it looked like a team that ran some zone read and a whole lot of sweet plays and just had an offensive line that was mushing people. So you'll probably see some of that. I'd be interested to see. This doesn't necessarily feel like a week where we're going to get to the end of it, and it's going to turn out that Holinsky didn't practice all that much. But it'll be interesting to see, can they work in some sort of schematic stuff that takes advantage of what Joyner can do? Is there going to be more QB run stuff? Do they throw a few more passes than last week when I think they ran on the last 13 plays and the only pat in the pass he threw before that was like a little slant on third down? So that situation just becomes kind of a wild card. I'll, I'll also be interested in, is that a question for Florida to have to defend or are they going to go in with whatever game plan they go in with and say, we think we're good enough to stop whoever you have? And I should say, I mean, we don't have inside information telling us Ryan Holinsky isn't healthy, but Coach Muschamp has kept his cards pretty close to the vest before on injury situations. And like you said, just looking at him, I mean, even before that final hit, he was limping around, and it just seems very hard to imagine him being 100% for this game. Correct. I mean, it's just... It's really hard to watch the video of that knee and then just say, yeah, probably going to be fully okay. Again, we don't have any inside info. We have not seen any of this. No one has told us that actually it's a problem. But, you know, skepticism is just probably good and healthy at this point. And, of course, there's a difference between being 100% healthy and being able to play. Correct. And as I have suggested earlier this week, if they want to dig back and go into an old Baylor game plan when they just went basically running backs at quarterback for an entire game against North Carolina, that would be very cool. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they will. You might be the only person that wants that. Maybe, but more people should because it was very entertaining. Looking at the other side of the ball, because really what you know, drove South Carolina to that upset of Georgia was the defense playing by far its best game of the year, a really outstanding performance in all phases. But my question to you would be, is this something we can expect to see week to week? Because inconsistency has been an issue, and like we saw against Georgia, they played 95 snaps. They were starting to fade just a little towards the end. Well, I think the first answer there is, can they avoid playing 95 snaps? If the offense can stay on the field a little better, that would probably help that. If they can even just slow the game down, though I know they like going tempo. Depends how much tempo Florida wants to run with a less experienced quarterback. Ultimately, I think this is probably more in character of what this defense should be and what it's supposed to be. They have a lot of defensive linemen who should be good defensive linemen. They have a lot of players who should be talented given their recruiting rankings, given the experience they've had, given the trust the coaches have in them. 
But yeah, it seems like the defensive line's been much more forceful. And I have the improvement I've really seen is the linebackers. Those players have been better at funneling the ball to the right place, better at making the tackles they need to, better at, you know, not just holding someone up and letting them fall forward. And I think it'll be a little different because Georgia schematically is one thing and Florida, especially in the run game, presents a lot more problems. That being said, I just think I think this is a good defense. I think DJ Wanham is a good player. I think Kinlaw, Kobe Smith, uh, Rick Sandage, who had a great game, he, his consistency might be one to watch. I think they are all good players. I don't know that Mukwamu is going to play quite as well as he did against Georgia because that would be extremely hard. But if he can be just solid and J.C. Horn's on the other side and the safeties aren't you know, having a lot of problems, I, I don't see any reason why they'll really fall back. They've been solid to strong most of the year after outside those two of those first three performances, and I think that's kind of going to keep. Yeah, my only concern would be, I mean, Will Muschamp stresses turnover margin so much, but turnovers can kind of be a finicky thing, and winning the turnover battle 4-0 like they did against Georgia, that's hard to do week to week. It very much is, but I think I think big play prevention is something they've been, been focused on, and I think I've, I've written about this a couple times, where big play prevention is the big thing, and then as the talent level rises, the magnitude of some of those medium plays, that starts dropping. So not only do they cut off your, you know, your 30-yard plays because of a good tackle become a 22-yard play, or what a broken tackle allowed to become a 23-yard play becomes actually just a 12-yard play. And you start working those down, and you start kind of cutting down on the margins of plays an opponent makes— And then you start really having something on defense. I know he likes turnovers. I'll be interested to see, as you said, they're finicky. They go up and down. They can get weird. Maybe, you know, they've just been hoarding all these turnovers and they're just going to kind of burst all at once. But I I think the baseline defensive play has been better and that has sort of buoyed them up a little bit or buoyed them up a lot as compared to early, early in Muschamp's tenure when the defense was a lot more bend, don't break. And just wasn't as good, but the turnovers kind of helped keep things in line, especially those first two seasons. Another little interesting tidbit we got from Tuesday's press availability with some of the players and Coach Muschamp was this will be South Carolina's second noon kickoff in a row, third on the season. And uh, let's take a quick listen to what he had to say about that. Well, we're up every morning. I mean, all of our guys are in the building by 630 and fired up about practice and meetings and all that stuff, you know, so... Um, but uh, we look forward to it. We look forward to a noon kick. Any, any opportunity we get to play in Williams-Brice, our guys will be excited about it. So, Ben, yeah, I know fans, sometimes noon kickoffs can kind of be a pain to get, get up that early and get sometimes. to the stadium. Sometimes. I know some fans like them. I mean, is it overstating the importance of that sometimes, you know, to think about, like, does a kickoff time really matter? Is it, are players, can players and teams really come off sluggish if it's an early kick? It's kind of an interesting question because on the one hand, you'd assume that teams prep for all this kind of stuff, but by the same token, people like daily routines. And if I practice football every afternoon and I was then asked to play it, you know, five, six hours earlier than I was used to, that might be a problem. I don't know if it's excessively provable. Um, I know I'm looking at the the numbers from last year in South Carolina at best had an inconsistent record when it came to noon games. They uh, lost to Florida by blowing a giant lead in a noon game. They lost that Elk Bowl to Virginia, despite it being a noon game. So I don't know if it's a great indicator, but it is certainly interesting that all the players are pretty excited about it. And I kind of, in, in asking all the players about it, I, I thought it was interesting that a lot of them were like, 
it's annoying to have to sit in a hotel all day long getting antsy waiting for the game because we don't really consider that as much. They're staying in a hotel the night before and just kind of getting cabin fever all day while fans are out enjoying that tailgating life. So I don't know that it has that much of an impact, but I thought it was certainly an interesting thing to kind of dig into. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of fans don't realize that even if it's a home game, they they stay in a hotel the night before. Yeah, and 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 I don't I don't think they at the very least they don't get to leave and go and hang out and do stuff that morning. I don't know if they necessarily spend the entire time at the hotel or maybe they get to go to the football facility for some of that. But either way, if I had to get up at six o'clock every morning, five thirty, to get to practice, I probably wouldn't mind getting getting my game out of the way as early as possible. All right, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks, Ben, for joining me. And as a reminder, please subscribe and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts.